Well, good morning, North Shore. Our lead pastor, Scott Harris, here, and it's good to have you here. Uh, whether you are on site or you are at home, I pray and hope that we're all celebrating the start of summer. You young people that have wrapped up school, I hope uh, that this interesting end of your school year will just be uh, a, a good mark, something you can look back and uh, tell stories someday. But I pray for a great summer for all of you. A couple announcements, uh, some exciting things happening around our church, in particular, the academy. Uh, many of you know that Holly Leach, our long-standing, amazing superintendent, uh, announced um, last year that she would be retiring soon. And so that will happen next year, 2021. So as we look at transitioning, uh, we went through an amazing process of finding uh, the next superintendent for North Shore Christian Academy. And I'm happy to announce North Shore. Uh, we have found that person. It's a young man uh, from King's Elementary, a principal there that will come on board as the assistant to the superintendent for one year and Holly will pour into him and help him uh, transition well into leading our dynamic and amazing academy. Uh, Jordan Gage is his name. Um, his wife and four children will be joining us. So uh, North Shore Christian Church, they'll be part of our church family. Uh, they'll be leading our academy. Uh, and I'm just excited for that. So welcome, Jordan, uh, and great times. All right, some other exciting news for the church is that the church has opened. So we will be in week three. And as I speak, there are people sitting here in the church listening to me. So welcome to the campus, excited about that. And I wanna invite all of you to consider coming back. We've worked really hard at honoring all to making this a very, very safe place. And so we trust that it is a safe place to the best of our abilities. And we invite you to come join and be part of the fellowship that is happening on campus. Uh, but if you feel unsafe or have underlying health issues, by all means, stay home, keep worshiping with us at home, online, be part of this. But I'm excited about that. So let us know, uh, go online, you can find out how to register so we could keep the, the count that we need to do because we have a max capacity. But Again, we're excited to be open and doing those things. Some other church news is just in the, in the way of stewardship. Uh, this COVID-19 has hit our region hard financially. I know it's hit a lot of you hard financially, and the church is no different. So we are walking in that in good stewardship. And so part of that stewardship is some of our staff. We've had to make some changes. Uh, so a few have chose to retire. We've had to lay a few off. Um, and we've had to make some modifications, modifications to some, some of the jobs. Uh, but our morale is high. We're excited. Uh, we're going to keep on mission of making disciples that God calls us to. Also part of that stewardship is all of the staff will be taking furloughs uh, this year. And that is just a way to make sure that we are walking this out as a church staff, as a family. I talk about that all the time. We're a family. So we're going to do that together. Uh, I'll be taking uh, the next two weeks furlough. And, and you, furlough just means not paid. So uh, we'll step down. A lot of our staff is doing that as well. And so we are going to be great stewards because we are going to celebrate that which God entrusts us, the giving that he entrusts us. But I want to encourage you, family, to be part of this as well. 
and your part is to give as the Lord gives to you. And so each week we collect our tithes and offerings. It's at the back of the room if you're on site. In buckets, you can just drop it off. Out in the lobby, there is a container, a white container that you can drop it off in. You can do that midweek as well. You can mail it in. But what I really encourage all of you to consider, and it's safe, I've been doing it for a long time, is to give online and do it reoccurring. That is the most steady way to give, just to give the Lord your tithes and your offering consistently. It's the best for the church. So you can link on that to give online and you can say reoccurring. You know, we're excited about that. And I just pray for the offering that much, much like the fish and loaves that the God would multiply it. That is it. He brings it in. He would multiply it to do his good work all over this county. And I believe that. I believe God is going to do that. So would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We're excited to be together whether it's at home, through the online platform, or if it's in person. God, we are family and we are together. And so we're going to walk this journey, COVID-19, 2020. Um, we're going to say yes to you. Everything that you, you know, bring to us, you invite us to be part of, we say yes to you. And so, Father, I pray for this offering this morning, that you would do a good work through it that you would reach lost souls, that you'd reach the broken and hurting, that you would expand your kingdom through the work at North Shore. Bless those people that give right now because many people are giving in a really difficult time. And Father, I know you're proud of them. So I just pray they'd feel encouragement from you at this time. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll turn to James chapter 4. And we're going to continue our series in James. And we only have two more messages in our series in James uh, this week and next week. And then our summer series is called Straight from the Heart. And we're going to do a summer in the Psalms. So we're going to look at these honest, raw conversations from mostly David. So it's going to be a great summer of teaching through the book of Psalms. But as we wind down James, we titled this Faith Works. It's a little play on words. It's faith works in everyday life. We can apply faith to every aspect of life and it works. But there's also the works of faith in everyday life. So faith works and the works of faith. And we are just, it's been an amazing. And I want to just praise God for a few minutes here. Uh, I shared this at the beginning of the series. This, James wasn't our planned series. We're going to do something on evangelism, just so you know. And what happened was COVID-19 started landing in Snohomish County. And I just went before the Lord and he spoke a clear word to me. He says, nope, that is not the series right now. North Shore Christian Church, God's people are going to go through some tough times. And so I need to take them into a place in the scriptures of a people that went through a tough time. And what was the message in the book of James as he went there? Faith works. And I couldn't believe we thought we we're going to be talking about the struggles of a virus. And also the racial tensions just boiled over. We had other state issues boil over. And I'm just so proud of God as he led us here. It was timely. Right when these things hit, God had us speaking about this, of how we as believers are to handle ourselves, the heart we're to have, the words we're to use. It just allowed us to speak through the scriptures on how we're supposed to do this. So 
Thank you, God. I appreciate that. And I'm hoping you've enjoyed this series in James. So today we're going to look at tools. And when you look at tools, it starts this way. You've got to have the right tool when you're doing anything. Boy, and I learned that just this last week. I found this amazing deal on a patio set. I always dreamed of having a patio set. So I bought this patio set and it came in all these boxes. So I got it home, opened these boxes up and it came in many, many parts. I was like, whoa. Uh, but it said there, don't worry, we're gonna give you everything you need, including the right tool. This is what they gave me. They gave me this tool, and I think about 100 of these. I don't know if you can see that. This and 100 of these and all these really little spaces to go in and put that on. <laughs> so I sat down. I've literally, I'm putting this thing together going like this, right? <laughs> I'm just like, it's going to take me a week to this. I will never sit on this. And then our executive pastor shows up. And he saw that I was putting this together. And he brings a drill with this attachment that perfectly fit these screws. He says, can I help you? By all means. And so I've got this tool. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I start hearing that. I'm working on the smallest thing. It's a little footstool. Also, look over there. He's done with the first piece of furniture. I keep working on mine. Also, the second, the third. He literally lapped me and finished everything while I finished one thing because he had the right tool and he knew how to use it. And that's what James is going to do. We're in James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. And what we're going to see is we're going to look at two sections today. So follow me well, watch the notes because I don't want to lose you. But James does something in the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. He says this, he says, come now or pay attention, listen up. I want to share something with you. And he's going to share two tools for us to use for our faith works. And so let's look at those. James chapter four, verse 13. We're gonna look at the tools for our faith work. And the first thing we're gonna see is the tool of time. The tool of time for our faith works. And he starts off with really teaching us about the confines of time. Listen to verse 13 and 14. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. So the confines of time, when he points out to them and he uses an example, a situation that they're really gonna understand. See, the Jewish people of that time were very business savvy. And what they would do is they'd go to different towns that they saw potential economic uh, profit and they'd go there and typically they'd make a profit. A lot of times in the Roman Empire, they would invite the Jewish people in to help set business up to establish their towns. So he's using a situation that they're really gonna understand that a lot of them do. And he says this to them. You can think that and go plan to do that. But verse 14, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. He says, you have limitations. You can't see in the future. You have limited sight. 
See, for us, for them, we can't see tomorrow. And so we have this limitations on us, but he goes on in verse 14, he says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So what he says is you can't see the future. All that you can see is the right now. And the right now for you in your life is a mist. It's like the morning fog and it just disappears. It goes by quickly. Now that could kind of depress you. It's like, oh, life is short. But I want to encourage you to look at it another way. And I actually think that's James' intent is for us to look at it another way. He wants to show us that time is a gift. Yes, we're confined to this lifetime and this time is short, but it's precious. It's a gift from God. And I use this in my counseling all the time, this idea that in this ride of life, you get one ticket. Use it well, use it well. Do not squander it on your own wisdom. And that's where he goes into uh, this section in verse uh, 15. He's gonna tell him, how do you capture time then? If time is so short, it's so precious, it's this gift from God to us, how do we capture it? He says this, here's what you should say. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So he's taking them and says, I want the listener to this letter, James says, is to understand God's power. See, God, when we look at time, is outside the confines of time. He's not limited to time, but he authored time. So you see, he has a whole different view. He sees in a snapshot our time, this precious gift he gives us, but he sees bigger than that. So what is the wise thing to do? Partner with him, to partner with him in that time. I used to be a youth pastor and we'd play this game and this game, it was blindfold tag or I've heard it called minefield. And what you do is you take one person and you blindfold them you take another person, say you can't touch them. You're just going to speak to them and you're to guide them through some sort of obstacle course or um, for tag to try to stay away from the person who is it, whatever. And it's kind of funny watching that. Some people, some kids, uh, I've seen some bloody shins from some jokester in the youth group running someone into a pole or something, uh, but that's not God. What God does is he guides us. So we are limited in our sight, but God is not. And he guides and leads us. And so that's what we're to. We're to seek his wisdom on how to use this precious gift of time. And he introduces us there to the Lord's will. He says, this is what you ought to say. What is the Lord's will? What does he have for us? And so I want to give you just a little teaching on God's will. The first type of will for God is the perfect will of God. And this is what will happen. Jesus will return. Nothing can interrupt that. That will happen in God's timing. All followers of Jesus will go to heaven. Nothing can stop that. That is his perfect will. That will happen. 
The second type of will of God is his prescriptive will. And this is what is supposed to happen. For example, love your neighbor. That is God's will. Doesn't mean we're going to do it, but it's God's will. Be kind and compassionate. Forgive one another. Again, this is what God has for us. It is his will. It's his precepts. It's what he's prescribed to us. Whether we will do it or not is still yet to remain seen to us, not him. Think of this. It's like a doctor. Go to the doctor. Doctor says, here is a prescription. Do these things to get this result. And then you go home and you have a choice. I will do this or I will not, but you have to live with the results. That's what it is. His prescriptive will. And then third and lastly is his permissive will. His permissive will. And that is what we choose to happen. Uh, and it's the choices that we make that are not moral or, or necessarily biblical. Like, for example, I could raise my right hand. There it is. I just raised it. I raised my left hand. I pointed at you. You know, these are things that we get to choose. And there's bigger things. Things like he allows us sometimes is, do I take this job? Now, he may have a lot to say about that. Do, do I buy this house? And there's a lot of different things. Sometimes God puts himself right in those things. Sometimes he says, you know what? I'm gonna allow you to choose those things. And what he does with those things is he gives us space to exercise his permissive will. So the things that aren't his perfect will, how do we discover God's will? And, and in pastoral counseling, it is the number one thing that we talk about. How do I know God's will? I have a decision to make. What do I do, pastor? I've spent thousands and thousands of hours having that conversation. So I've kind of come up with just a little basic thing that you hopefully will see on the screen here of how you can discover God's will. The first thing is to look up, look out, and then look in. So look up, secondly, look out, and then thirdly, look in. Look up, Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17, says this, says, we need to live wise and we need to know the will of God. Look up is literally looking up to God and trusting him, right? Seeking God first before anything else. What do you say, God? And God speaks to us through different ways. First of all is the word of God, the scriptures. And it's interesting, most of the questions we have are already answered. You go to his word it guides us to see what does God say about a thing. Next thing is we go to God through prayer. We seek him through prayer. And what prayer does, it aligns our heart with God. So we go to prayer to have God speak to us. As we get this intimate exchange with him, our heart aligns to his. And then thirdly is we seek him by listening. By listening. You see, God speaks to us today. He's not silent. He speaks to us. And, and scripture calls that special revelation that God will speak to you as you listen for the voice of God speaking to you. And I love this. So looking up to God and discovering his will, we have a example, the perfect example, and that's Jesus. John 5, 30 says uh, about Jesus, he seeks the will of the one who sent him. 
What Jesus does is what the Father has him to do. His eyes are always up looking to the Father. And that's what we're to do. Number one is look up. Number two is to look out. And that is to involve people in your situation. Proverbs 12, 15 says, listen to advice. Proverbs eleven fourteen and fifteen twenty two says, there is safety and victory in the abundance of counsel. There is wisdom in the multitude of counsel of people speaking into us. So looking out is seeking advice from other people. You know, the famous verse, Proverbs 27, 17, says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So when we're discovering God's will. We have to go and seek out those outside of us. Those who know God, people who know God, who love Jesus, who the Holy Spirit is alive and speaking of, seek them out. People who know God, people who know you. I can't tell you how many times my wife has inspired me or protected me because she knows who I am. She says, Scott, do not do that because that's not you. Scott, do this, even though you don't want to and it's going to be hard, but I know you and I know you can do this. So go to people who know who you are. And in that also, go to people who know the subject. You know, if you want to be a school teacher someday, guess what? Go talk to a school teacher. You know, you're looking at changing jobs. Go talk to somebody who's changed jobs. So go to somebody who knows the subject. And the third thing in how to discover God's will is to look in. <laughs> and sometimes there's people say, well, this isn't biblical, Scott. It says, do what you want to do. Now hold with me here, okay? <laughs> what do you want to do? Psalm 37, 4 says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So see that. You do the first two things, okay? You delight yourself in the Lord and the way he speaks and the way he counsels us. And then what's going to happen is your heart's going to align, right? And then he's going to give you the desires of a heart. Because Ecclesiastes 5, it talks about the joy we are to have in this life. So this life is not meant to be miserable, really no matter what circumstance you find yourself in. Sometimes we find ourselves in tough circumstances. We're still called to joy. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, man, this, this life is for our enjoyment. That's what it says. So it gets to a point when you delight in the Lord is that you look in. And you'll hear me say this. If I get a sense of somebody in counsel is really tuned into the Lord, I'll just say, what do you want to do? And that's not unbiblical or unspiritual, but it's tuning in to the delight of the Lord. So that's how we discover the Lord's will. In verses 16 and 17, back to James 4 here, he says there's a problem in discovering God's will. It says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So oftentimes in everything, what gets in the way of using time for kingdom work is pride. Us thinking we know better than God gets in the way and he actually calls it evil. He calls it sin, which is separation for God. We actually move away from God 
when we put ourselves on the throne and don't allow God to be the God of our time. So the tool of time is a precious gift. Use it wisely. Use it to live a life that matters for the kingdom. And that is your faith works here on this earth, this precious gift of time you have. So now we're going to go to chapter 5, James chapter 5, 1 through 6. And we're going to look at the tools of treasures for our faith work. The tool of treasures for our faith works. And what he does here in James 5, he uses an extreme example to point something out to us. And he's going to talk here about the rich. And when he's, the rich he's talking about here aren't just people that are wealthy or you know, struggle with a little greed or a little self-focus, but these are criminals. Okay, So he's going to use an extreme example to get our attention. And we've all been there, right? If you have a brother or sister and you watch them, oh, when they got in trouble with mom and dad, Oh, they got in big trouble. You know what I mean? And it's coming down. You're watching them and boy, they're just going at it and mom and dad are giving them that big speech and, and there it is. What do you do? You get out your notepad. You're thinking, whoo, note to self. This is bad. Do things differently, right? And that's what we're gonna look at. We're gonna look at this tough example and then we're gonna look at doing it differently. So verse one in James 5, 1 through 3, he talks about the mistakes in their mindset toward money. He says, come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the misery that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days Ooh, it's tough text. Uh, what it's getting at here is the mistake that they've made is they thought that their money, their treasures would bring them happiness. And what they got instead is serious misery. Misery. And all of you know those persons that are just pursuing money. Money's everything. You know, climbing the corporate ladders, everything to them. And you'll find a miserable person. Not all people that are doing that, because some people have balance, but someone that that is their goal is usually a miserable person. Second thing, mistake they made is security, that they believe that this would bring them security. But he actually takes a shot at every way that they made money. Agriculture, he says it'll rot through garment sales, there'll be moth-eaten. He says, even your money, the dollars that you collect and hoard will be corroded. And he's saying it doesn't last. It's not going to give you security. And he brings them into a stark reality of the insecurity you're going to have when you're all about money is when you get to judgment and you have no security. And that's, he's talking about the ultimate judgment. What God is going to ask us there is, what have you done in my name? And he's pointing this out to them. Letting the listener watch him talk to these non-believers. When they get to that judgment and God asks, what have you done in my name? 
And they're going to look at all this wealth and all they've collected up and hoarded. And they're not going to have an answer. And it's not good. It actually says in there uh, that their flesh will burn. I mean, so it's just whew, vivid imagery here. What it does, what this does is it reveals their heart. It reveals their heart. Because they have laid up treasures in the last day, verse 3 says. And it reminded me of Matthew 6, 21. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So where your treasure is, right? That's where your heart is. That's where your affections are going to be. That's what, in a sense, really matters. And it goes on 1 Timothy 6.10. Scripture says, for the love of money, meaning when your heart, your emotions are attached to money, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So the love of money, that's what it reveals to them. And he's talking about that. And he says, it is a root of many evils. Look at their life. You go to verse four, chapter five here in James. And he starts talking about the evil and the damage that they're doing to people and to God's work. Verse four, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So he's saying this evil that they're doing when they've got this love of money is it damages people. Scripture is so clear in Leviticus Leviticus 19.11, uh, that the God follower pays people's wages. Listen to what Proverbs 14.31 says about dealing with people. Those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but helping the poor honors him. I mean, this is a God thing. And they're crushing these people. And God hears their cries. They're doing great damage. They're stepping on them to get theirs. It's so far from what Scripture teaches but they're also damaging themselves. You know, their self-indulgence really is leading to self-destruction. It, 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 it equates that living to fattening themselves for the day of slaughter. If you know anything about farming, what you do is you fatten an animal as quick as you can to take him to slaughter. And what he's saying here in this illustration, he says, you're quickening your death. Your death emotionally. Again, we know people that, that are in love with money. They are never happy people. They're miserable. So it, it, it kills them emotionally. People that love money, it kills them relationally. People that are just pursuing and they think money is going to be the end all, it breaks relationship, divides families. And ultimately, it fattens them for a death spiritually kills them spiritually. And he ends this section by holding up a, a mirror to them. In verse six, it says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person, the people doing faith works, doing God's work, and they didn't even resist you. I mean, he just said, look at this. This is who they are. And it's crushing. And it destroys the faith works of God's people. 
Now, in this letter to James, uh, what he's going to carry on is he's going to talk about how do we as Christ followers live underneath that and with that. And that's what we talked about next week. What I want to do is I want us to talk about a contrast. So that is dark. That is heavy. That wasn't even fun to teach on, so you know. And I could have gotten really, ugh, because it's it just intended to be that. It's an extreme example. But I want to look at the contrast. How does God tell us to handle our money? And I hope this is freeing to you. So this is a message that the followers of Christ should have on how to deal with their money. And much like last time I preached, I'm going to go back to a teaching just a couple years ago, and it's called the ABCs to financial freedom. Because that's what God wants us to have is freedom. Freedom in our finances. And the A in that is our attitude toward finances. We are to have an attitude, Psalm 24.1 says, um, that it all belongs to God. Our attitude, everything is God's. And what we are invited, we get the privilege of being a steward of all that God has. And he carves out a section of all he has and says, here, Scott, I want you to be a steward of this. And I receive it with a glad heart, thankful, and say, okay, this is yours. Every portion of it is yours. And I will steward this. And when we are good stewards, we have the opposite judgment experience than what we just read about in James. Matthew 25 talks about the parable of talents. And it's when a master came and left talents and just money for people. And I love at the end, he comes back to those that handled or good stewards of the talents he gave them. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. So we look at judgment, judgment day. Uh, it's like test day. And the only time that is a bad thing is when you're not ready. But God gives us an open book test. He empowers us with the Holy Spirit to say, guess what? On that day, I want to celebrate you and say, well done, my son and daughter, well done. So that's what we get when we handle our finances in that department well. We're good stewards. God's going to say, well done. Well done with what I've entrusted you to. And it's a beautiful time. The B is bondage. Matthew 6, 24 says that we actually become a slave. We become enslaved to the master of money when we fall in love with it. You know, and that comes through the way of debt excessive debt. It just weighs you down or the misuse of it because you never have enough. It feels like there's nothing there because we don't use it wisely. And so what he wants us to do is avoid the trap of money so that we are not under bondage. And we do that by making the right choices to see, by making right choices. And that is a choice to be free from the love of money. And I'm going to give you three things. I'm hoping they'll pop up here on the screen. Um, I'm going to talk about be a giver, be generous, and be free. So to be a giver, all through the scriptures, God wants us to learn how to fall out of love with money, to fall out of love with it, uh, to have it loose its hold on us. Because in our American culture, it's about money. And so we have to fight hard against that, to be loosed from it. And all through our Bible, what God calls us to be is givers. To be givers. To not be holders, 
but to be givers. And he says, it is blessed to give, right? And again, that is cover to cover all through scripture. We are called to be givers. And how do we do that? Is by being generous. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 8 calls us into the space of beautiful faith giving generosity. And we are to be givers. We are to be open-handed, to be givers, to be generous, because what happens is says, you don't have a hold on me. You don't have a mastery over me. I'm actually going to do the opposite of that. And I'm going to be wide open-handed. I'm going to be generous. If you look at the standard that these listeners would have, these are Jewish Christians. So you look through the Old Testament, what the, the basic standard, not even generous, but what giving was, they gave 23.5% of their income. 23.5% is what they gave. 10% uh, to the temple, to the Levites, to run the church, right? To, to pay for their way. 10% for growth so that their family could go up to the temple and be in the presence of God. And so it, it's, it's like the 10% of investing in the family for spiritual growth of the family. Another 10%. And then every three years they give 10%. They kept it. But they kept it in their home so that anytime a widow or someone poor, anyone needed anything, that they were ready to give to them. 23.5%. And it says that, that it brings them joy, brings them into a place of, be, of having a glad heart. So our standard, last year a survey came out and in the United States, the average Christian gave 2.5%. That is a far cry from just a basic standard that the, the scriptures talk about. And we are to give in faith. I mean, one of the great illustrations is the widow in the temple with Jesus. This widow, poor widow, probably has no way to really generate much of an income, walks in and drops her two mites, it says, two copper coins. Boom. Jesus points to her. Now she understands the kingdom of God because she gave out of her poverty. Her eyes were focused on the kingdom and not her. She trusted that God could do far more than she could ever imagine. And she gave out of her poverty. This is a person who had an ownership that did not have the love of money, but had the love of the kingdom work. And when we do that, when we're generous, open-handed, it leads to the place that God wants us to be with our money, and that's free. We need to be free. Be free to love God. Because when we're generous and we are givers, we show that we trust God, that we trust his kingdom, we trust his work, not the work of this earth. In fact, we show him that we're seeking his kingdom first, Matthew 6, says. And he'll add all this to us. He'll add what we need and he wants us to have to use for his kingdom work here. But we trust him, we seek him and say, this is my space in this life with my finances and I live in it with a glad heart, kingdom focus, doing the faith works that you've entrusted me to and God that you financed. We get to love others. We get to be free to love others when we are givers and we are generous. And just think of it, it feels good to have the margins in your finances to help somebody else. 
And I love when I see that. I love when God gives me the privilege to say, here you go, here's the generous, here's above my tithes and my offerings. I'm giving this to you. It feels good because it feels right because it feels like something God would do, right? That's why it feels good. I saw a perfect illustration of this just last year. Uh, one of the academy staff works the front desk here. Um, you know, a lot of the, the employees in our large organization uh, will order lunch from time to time. And we have deliverers come and deliver that at the front desk. Well, this one young lady, a single mother uh, with two kids, you know, was one of those deliverers. One day she shows up and she has her head down and her hand over her mouth. And this employee who kind of knew her from the delivery said, um, why are you covering your mouth? And with great embarrassment and shame, she lowers her hand to expose a front tooth knocked out. And she says, I hit my tooth on my car and I'm embarrassed. She says, it's hard to get a better job looking like this. And here's what I love. Here's God in motion. Someone kingdom-minded. Right? Um, so she goes on her way. This person goes into their own funds, uh, calls a dentist and says, how much? How much will it cost? And I love all you dentists out there. It's not cheap. This person doesn't have insurance. It's all cash. So from her account, she gets enough money. It's a big amount. I love this. She, says, she calls upstairs to our pastors. He says, hey, will one of the ministry leaders come down and give this? Because I want her to know this is coming from God. And so my wife, Sandy, got the privilege of going down, got this big wad of cash, and they called this deliverer in again and says, this is from God, kingdom work. Someone with margin, who's free, who's free to love others. That's what God has us to do. So the tool of money, it's a tool to free you, to do the faith works that God has for you. So don't let this world's love of money suck you in. Be a giver, be free. And I say this collectively, North Shore, if we will do that, there is enough resources here to have an incredible kingdom impact. Let's do it together. Let's show the world in a time when poverty's all around us, COVID-19, but the kingdom has all the finances it needs because it's all God's. I, you, all of us need to release that and be about the faith works that he has. But we have to be great stewards. So I'm excited. I believe in that God will move in all of our hearts and we're gonna show the world something far, far different. So I wanna leave you with a couple of questions to think about. The first one, are you using your time to have impact in God's kingdom? Check your calendar. What are you doing? Are you living each day by God's will or your will? What adjustments does he want you to make? Just sit in that. Think about it. Give it some time. Second question, are you financially free? Are you free financially? I want you to ask yourself this question. Does your money act as a sail or as an anchor in your life? 
Is your money used for kingdom work? Is it a, a wind in that sail of thrusting you forward into all that God has you to do on this limited time, this precious gift of time? And as he funds it for you, or is it an anchor? Has the world's values got a hold of your heart? And have you fell in love with money? I want to take some time just to think about this. It's important. It's important because we want our heart fully released and unleashed for the work of the kingdom so God can have his way and do his beautiful, beautiful work in you and through you. I want that to be true of me. So I've got some thinking to do too. And then we can come together, North Shore, and we can watch kingdom advance because of God's people coming together, saying yes to Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I love you. Our worship team's gonna come up and they're just gonna lead us in a song. And I just encourage you just to sit in this. I love you, North Shore, and God bless you.